Thank you for tuning into the 95 Killers podcast. We just launched our website, 95killers.com. So now you can listen to full episodes, become a member, and get your 95 Killers merch straight from our website. Visit us today at 95killers.com. Now let's start the show. Welcome to the 95 Killers podcast, an explorative and insightful journey inside the minds of some of the most successful entrepreneurs who have killed their day jobs to pursue their passions. Streets raise me, born in 80s, baby. Lord save me, cause today I'm going crazy with this bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit, crazy with this bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit. Welcome to season two of the 95 Killers podcast, episode six. I'm your host, Glenn Graham. Today, our multi-talented guest is an award-winning actor, choreographer and director whose talents have garnered him successes in film, television, and on Broadway. He is perhaps best recognized as the lead in the national tour of the Broadway hit musical Fela, which won three Tony Awards in 2010 to rave reviews. He was the lead during the musical's first national tour as well as when it returned to Broadway the following summer. In 2016, he was cast as Trenton in ICE on Audience Network DirecTV, executive produced and directed by Academy Award-winning director Anton Fuqua of Training Day, and in the highly acclaimed Obie Award-winning play Skeleton Crew directed by Ruben Santiago Hudson at the Atlantic Theater Company. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, allow me to introduce my guest, Adeshola Osakulumi. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Glenn. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. We up early. We're going we're gonna to get this talk going. I know you're from um, Fela, but we're not going to jump ahead. I want to know where's your family from? I heard people in the show in Fela call you Ade, Adesola. So am I saying it right? Adesola. Yes. Okay. Um, the the uh, traditional uh, Yoruba pronunciation would be Adesola. That's one way. And that is the correct tonal way from Yoruba. Uh, my mother calls me Ade. A lot of people, if they can't say Adeshola, they say Adeshola, which is perfectly fine. A lot of my old friends from growing up back in the day, they call me Des, because that was like my, my little nickname, Des. So they call me Des or D. So there's a few ways to uh, <laughs> to, to call me. <laughs> okay, so I don't feel so bad. I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm butchering this guy's name, man, you know. And, you know, so so you're, your family, where are you from? Uh, my parents, my mother's from Jamaica. My father's from St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. So I was a Caribbean man, you know. Caribbean. Now, okay. now where the name, um, you know, stems from it, where people get uh, excitedly confused is that uh, my, my parents, my father in particular, the traditionalists, uh, Yoruba, Ifa, Orisha, traditionalists. So um, being part of that tradition and culture, I have a traditional Yoruba name. Okay, and Yoruba is from, from Nigeria. Southwest Nigeria. Nigeria, right? Okay, cool. Yeah. So how I know you is, um, and I got to give a shout out, so... Um, shout out to my ex-wife, uh, Emma. <laughs> so I know you because uh, um, when me and my wife was married, there was a show called uh, Fela, and she was one of the queens in Fela, and you were in that show. So tell me a little bit about that time and what's your experience with, with the show. Okay, well, that's the question. I got into the show because at that time, I was in a, another show, a Broadway show called Equus, which, which was my first Broadway show. And... I knew of Fela because my dad and uncles owned a record store business called the African Record Center based in Brooklyn. And the African Record Center was uh, the first label, the first company that imported and distributed Fela's music in America. So I knew about Fela. I felt like ownership because I felt like they're doing a show about Fela. Wait, wait, wait. I have to be in this show now. So. I auditioned like, like anyone else auditioned, but it already had its run off Broadway and it made a lot of noise off Broadway. So I auditioned, I was fortunate enough to be cast. I always tell people that I, at the time I was trying to run away a little bit from my dance side because I was really wanting to focus directly and, and specifically on acting, but it was the dance uh, component that really got me hired in the show because they were looking for someone who was an understudy to play Fela, but also that person, they didn't have the luxury of having that person just sit around. So if the person could dance and move, they could then fill that spot on stage, be what they call a swing, and then be 
learning the line, you know, learning the text and, and being groomed to eventually at some point uh, play Fela. So that's how I got into Fela through dance. Reluctantly, because at the time I told my manager, you know, don't send me on any dance auditions. You know, I'm an actor. Don't just. And she was like, well, you know, OK, so listen, here's the audition <laughs> and, and go in. Right. And when I got in the show, I was ecstatic. I was overjoyed, like, like I told you uh, a little bit earlier. Because my family had done business with Fela and knew Fela, I felt there's no there's no way that I can't be in this show. I felt there's no coincidences that this show is being done. I was really excited to be in a show that was about this iconic, legendary figure that was a, a black cast, black director, a lot of people of color on a creative team. You know, now in 2020, that's a big thing. But when I joined the show was 2010, when it went from Off-Broadway to Broadway, and people weren't talking about that then, but that show broke so much ground. So I was excited. I walked into a situation where I didn't know a lot of people because the people, the cast, <clears throat> excuse me, had already been together. And, and I found that it wasn't as welcoming as I would have liked and as, as I expected. But like anything else, you are a new person. You have to fit your way in, figure out where you fit. And, and most importantly, my thing was about being prepared. I made sure that I was on time because you know how folk could be with time. Yeah, I know. I know the, I know the time. You came and, early today, so I know. <laughs> and, you know, just, just being in a position that whatever I was asked to do, I, I was able to do it. So the show was great. The show was great. I learned a lot. Even the things that I didn't like that happened in the show, and there were a lot of things that I didn't like that happened in the show, when I look back, it was still a learning experience, and I think overall I'm, I'm content with, with how I handle myself because it's one thing to say I did X, Y, Z because I had to, but I can look back and say I always made what I felt was the best choice mm. of integrity and that my character wasn't uh, assaulted, nor did I disrespect myself by how, right. I, by how I dealt with people in the show. Right. And if someone got out of line, you know, or in my opinion, got out of line, you know, I handled it real straight, right. real cool, and then kept it moving. Even though you were in a show, uh, and I've been to, and I watched the show. I had never seen you perform. So watching you perform recently, the clips you sent me, I was really excited about that. And so what I want to ask you is because you, your family has such a, a intimate relationship with Fela when he was alive. Um, did you ever meet him? I did meet him one time. He came to the record store, um, to the store, and I guess they were doing some business. And I was sitting there and, I, you know, this was back in the days of album covers. Right. 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 So this man walks in. And he's slim. He's not a big, physically in, uh, intimidating person, but he had a what we call swag. He had that energy. He had he was dripping, right. and I, I looked up like this guy looks familiar. I'm like, oh, that's that's the guy from the record covers. And you know, <laughs> I started straight straighten up a little bit, stood up straight, sat up straight, and uh, you know, he he greeted me. I greeted him. He went in the back and they, they conducted their business. And about 15, 20 minutes later, he left. But what I remember was the energy. You know, and I, I'm, I always tell people, you don't have to be the biggest, the most wealthy, but your energy precedes you. And one thing about Fela, when, when he walked in a room, you felt that energy. And I think that's something that the show captured well, like his, his energy, his passion. So it was, a, it was right. a trip. And then, you know, years later to be cast in the show and eventually wow. be able to play, it was no and, and, and so, so I know you're excited about it, right? Um, how was your, how did your parents uh, take it? <laughs> like, tell me a little story. What, what, okay. when you got the role or did they ever see it? Yeah. yeah okay. Tell me it. the, tell me the. So, um, my mom, who is my biggest supporter, cheerleader, critic, you know, everything. That's like the manager who's not the manager, who's the agent, who's not the agent. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? So, um, she was really excited. She, she was one of the people that really, um, supported me when I was making that transition from dance to acting. And when she came and saw it, she was thrilled. She was beaming. I could tell it was like a combination of a lot of her work with my mom also danced. So my mother and father uh, met in my family's dance company, had a dance company called Africa One Dance Theater. Wow. Based in Brooklyn. So she's a performer as well. And uh, my father and uncles came and they are all percussionists, drummers, and my uncle Roger, fantastic dancer as well, and choreographer. So they were they were just all excited, and you know, in those moments when there were things that I had challenges with or troubles with, and I go speak to them, they were like, "Don't worry, but you <laughs> but you wanted this, right?" So it's not always going to be a, 
a peak, sometimes it might be a valley. So it's like how you handle all of it. But they were really supportive. And and to this day, the show was in what, 10 years ago, right? I didn't realize it was 10 years ago. It doesn't feel, it feels it's like yesterday. Crazy. Man. And my dad would be like, oh, you, you know, tell, tell him you were in failure. You know, you're in failure, you know. You know, I'm like, and that was a long time ago, Dad. But <laughs> I mean, it, it still feels like it was yesterday. And so now transforming into how long have you been an entrepreneur? And what was your last job? Well, that's a good question. I like to say that, but my entrepreneurship is all in the arts. It's all art-based. I used to work at the family business at the African Record Center, 1194 Nostrand Avenue. And, and that was really the last, the last thing that felt like a job in terms of not being connected to performative art, to like work. I taught at a, at a high school called the Urban Assembly of Music and Art for four years. I taught hip hop, I taught dance and movement. And even though that was a, a job, it, it still felt entrepreneurial because it's the art that I do. So the last job, job, non-art related was at the African Record Center. I worked at The Gap a long time ago. I worked at, at Bloomingdale's, you know, those kind of jobs. But I'm gonna say 20 years. Well, that I've just been like dealing and working in arts, whether it's something dance, something on stage, choreographing. So, um, yeah, 20 years. Is there any reason why you went on a path of the entrepreneurial path instead of just going for maybe, let's say, work at a, a, a place where that it's, it's guaranteed money? Well, I'd seen it around, you know, my family, my mother uh, worked in travel and tourism over 40 and 50 years. But my father and uncles had their own business. So I, I saw that as a template, that was something that I knew was attainable. I didn't really know what it entailed. I didn't know like the struggles and the challenges of, of running a business. And, and, and it's one thing to do it and run it, but to have the longevity. You know, we, we always pray for longevity, that you're able to do things and be successful at it over an extended period of time. So I didn't realize what that entailed, but I saw that, oh, it could be done. And I felt like arts and performing was and is a calling of mine. So it didn't seem like a, a, a leap to do it, but I was like, oh, so when I stopped working at, at the record, I caught the record store. When I stopped working at the record store, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go out and be in the world and dance and I'm going to get hired and it's going to be all great. And, and, you know, the universe got a funny way of checking you. When I left, and stopped working there and it's like, you know, guys, I'm going to leave. And they're like, oh, yeah, here you go, 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 right, see right. what happens. Go, go, go. <laughs> and I tell you, Glenn, I did not get any job, a sniff of a job for like 10 months. Wow. I kid you not. And, you know, this is in the time of like music videos and people dancing. And I, and I knew all the people who were making noise. I knew everybody. I was in the club with them. These are like my peers. And I just, I couldn't get a job. And I was like, yo, okay, this is some. Oh, what do you think it was while you wasn't working I, at the time? I think it was two things. I think it was being tested and, and really put being put to the position of you say you want to work in the arts. It might be like this. What if you don't get a job for three years? And let's see if you can handle this, you know, in your, your uh, what, early 20s. Let's see if, let's see if you can really, really, ha you want to be about this performing arts life you think is easy. You want to go out and, and dance and be in video, whatever it is. And I think that was a component of it. And I think it made me also begin to look at, at planning because I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't have a plan in terms of like, so what if I don't get a job? Where the money going to come from? <laughs> like, I, I just figured it's going to happen because I'm nice. Because you want it and, and you're talented. Yeah. yeah. But we, we all know, and, and, and we, we know people in the same circle, um, talent doesn't always come with money. So one of the things that you said earlier when you came, you came on time. And when I asked you, you know, you actually came before I expected. I actually <laughs> give an earlier call time, <laughs> which is dope because most people come at the call time I give. So I say 945, but it's really, you know, 10 we start. And you came at 945, like a little before 945. And so I think that's one of the things is that those things that an artist does that besides the, besides the creativity and their talent, showing up, being on time. Um, I saw you in Fela and um, when you were there and, and and unfortunately we never got a chance to talk, but we, right. we spoke for the first time, what? Like two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, yeah, yeah. for real spoke. And I heard 
your name before, but it was always in a good context because I only associate with people of good caliber. So they always said your name in a certain amount of respect. So I don't even know at the time, why didn't I reach out to this guy? But <laughs> like you said, things happen for a reason, but what are one of the things or some of the things that you do besides being a talented person that you think makes you able to work and you get different jobs? You know, being able to get along with people is one thing, right? Not from a kissing ass or type of perspective, but I feel like I'm a good listener. And in creating the creative arts world, if you're working collaboratively, you have to be able to listen, to listen, to take direction, to listen, to get inspired. So I think that listening plays a, a big part. I'm really passionate about my about what I do. I've always wanted to dance and perform. So I really, really love it. And even even in those situations where things are challenging or people are getting on my nerves or whatever the case that I may be feeling. I love what I do so much that I say, well, this is what you want to do and you like it. And if this comes along with, with giving you the joy and the freedom and the ability to, to touch people, then I could deal with it. So when things get tight or when I get tight about whatever, I remind myself like, do you really, really like this? And, and you're good at it. And you put a lot of time into it. And if, if you give up, you know, it, the road is not always going to be easy, but I really believe that through art, we can really assist people. We can heal ourselves. I know this might sound too like, oh, you know, now it's getting all chakras <laughs> and berries and yogurt and unicorns and shit. But, but I really believe that. And that keeps me going. Well, and I think that, that helps, get, helps me get hired when people meet me. Right. And I'll tell you something, I don't, I don't view it as, you know, you getting too philosophical. I, you know, I, I also feel like, you know, mindset is a very important thing. And one of the things is you put out into the energy, the world, what you, what you get back. So if you, if people are behaving in a certain way and you decide I'm a rise above it, which is sometimes difficult because we're, we're people of the world right. and people are doing things and you may not gel with it. But I think that the testament of, of what we are as a people in terms of like anybody talking badly about you, you know, time says everything. You don't even have to speak against them. What are some of the things that you would take from the family, you've taken from the family business or any other place you work that you now apply to, you know, what you're doing now? Being prepared and being on time, right? So again, we get back to the time issue. I live in the Bronx, the store was in Brooklyn. So for me to get there at 11 o'clock in the morning, I had to get on that train. And I knew that if I didn't leave my house by 9.20, 9.25, I was gonna be late. And I knew that when I got there late, I was gonna get a look from my dad or from my uncle. And, and after a while, words don't have to be said because like we talked about, energy. So time management, I think is really important. My grandmother always said, you can get everything back in the world except time. Don't waste your time and don't let people waste your time. So that always stuck with me. I think time management is important because that sets up the structure that helps me be productive. So along with that time management part, you know, I said I didn't have a plan back then. I just was like, oh, I'm going to go get work. So when I um, decided to incorporate, run my uh, work and my career as a business, I had to figure some things out, do research, uh, and just take the steps that that allowed me to be productive. I think as an artist, you know, even with what we're doing now with this podcast, how do you present yourself to the universe, to the world? Um, do you have a website? Do you have social media? You know, headshots back then were a big thing. Before all the social media, you had to have a headshot. Right. And your resume was running back your headshot. Cold calling agents, walking into dance studios. Hi, you know, my name is Adesola Sakalumi and I teach, are you looking for? And, and oftentimes, no, we're okay. But that one person said, oh, well, I, I know this person who could, so being, being not aggressive in a grabby kind of way, but, but forceful and clear about what it is that you want and not being afraid. I think fear stops a lot of people from uh, taking opportunities that can push them forward. And sometimes we don't have anything to model. Like I don't see nobody doing this, so I don't know how to do it. I right. was fortunate to have seen some, you know, I have great uh, role models and mentors and, and not be so arrogant to say that I, that I know everything because I don't. 
Right. Even recently, I worked on a project with Ruben Santiago Hudson, and he's incredible. He he's become, in my mind, a mentor. He might, you know, we just might right. talk, but his wisdom, the things he shares with me about the industry. Um, who, um, who is he? Sorry, Ruben Santiago Hudson is yeah. uh, an award-winning actor, director, and writer. He has done, I mean, he was on that show Castle mm-hmm. years ago. He has a, a one-man play called Lackawanna Blues, just like one of the, the legends of, of theater and, and film and television. So I was fortunate enough to be referred, perfect example. A friend of mine had a meeting with him about choreographing a play. He, the play was called Skeleton Crew. He wanted like, like a, a person to like embody a machine in a, in a factory. My friend is more concert Dan. He said, well, I can't do it, but I got a guy that's perfect for this job. So he referred me because past history, he knows I can do the job. He knows I'm going to walk into the room and do what I need to do. So Ruben calls, we meet. And Ruben says to me, so, you know, like, okay, so it's what I'm looking to do. And I'm like, yeah, I, I can do it. I get into... The, the, I get hired again through a connection because good energy, something pay, I paid it forward is paid back to me. I start working on this job. Ruben says to me, you know, this, this entertainment thing, half of it is about your connections and half of it is about how people feel comfortable with you. And that's a lot of times why we sometimes don't get those next level jobs because the people in control don't say, let me just call Glenn. I know Glenn. Glenn can do the job. But if someone in his position oftentimes doesn't look like us or doesn't know us, we don't get that call. So I got called twice. My friend Darrell, who sent me to Ruben, Ruben said, come into my world. I worked with Ruben three times since then. And from that one job at the Atlantic Theater, it got me to do another job choreographing Othello at Shakespeare in the Park. So to start out, you know, popping, locking, breaking house, and then choreographing Othello for Shakespeare in the Park. It's a big stretch, but I always felt if I stick in this world and, and prepare myself, it's one thing to, t- to talk and do a good interview. Okay, so you're in the room, choreograph, create, help me shape this move. If you can't do it, then okay, you will be right. replaced. So <laughs> with all of the preparation and, and you know doing the work, you still have to uh, produce. Yeah, and and something that 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 um, you said that I, I like is when you talked about relationships and people feeling comfortable. Sometimes what happens with artists, we put ourselves in a position of, you know, the anti-artist. It's like, like you know, I get that a lot from friends of mine who are super talented, and they tell me, you know, my work speaks for itself. I don't have to do so much. So they have a standoffish kind of way. In which, and I kind of remember having that kind of attitude sometimes when you think you're too good, you're too cool for school. And, and, and it happens a lot by enough people saying it, you kind of start to do it yourself. So one thing that you said that, that, that I, that I want to expand upon is you talked about people being comfortable. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that part? I think that's what you were saying, but yeah. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, people have told me, damn, dang. You're real cool. Like you're you're funny, and I would I, mean, I say thank you, and I say why why do you say it that way? And I say well your energy when when I first met you, either I got or you you give off like serious and like a little standoffish, and and I started thinking about that. I haven't changed my my interaction with people. I don't change how I present myself. I don't change how I first meet somebody. I'm I'm like I have energy. So when I'm, when I'm with somebody, I'm not the type of guy to sit back and be like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's just, sorry, I leaned away from the mic, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how I, how I interact. Like when we first talked last week, yeah. I was like, Glenn! Oh, and so I think um, I, I, I make people realize that I'm not this big boogeyman, even though my energy might come across mm. initially before we speak as, as stern or as serious. And, and once you, you break down any kind of barrier, whether it's your barrier or the other person's barrier, you can get to a deeper level of, of communication and, and understanding. You know, and I think that allows people to then say, oh, well, forget about the work. Let's go have a drink. Let's talk. And it opens up doors. Most every opportunity or job, because always it's not about getting a job. Every opportunity that I've received, I cannot think within the last 15 or 20 years, 
has been because I've met someone, I've done a job, or we've just had discussion, and they're like, you know what? Huh, you'll be good for this. Come over here and do this. I mean, we talked the last time we, we met, I, I choreographed the film School of Rock, right? Which a lot of people are like, you choreographed School of Rock? Yes, I choreographed film School of Rock. I got that job because the choreographer named Jerry Mitchell referred me to just run an audition for some kids. Right. I said, okay, great, I'll come in and run an audition. You know, went in, didn't think anything of it, audition the kids, five, seven, eight, great. The producer goes, you know, you, I love the way you work with children. Wow, you're personable. You know what, we, we have a film. This is gonna be for a film. I think we'd like to have you choreograph it. Oh, what? Wow. So, you know, I didn't, I wasn't like, well, audition, like, no, no, call my agent, not my fee. I was like, it's opportunity to work. I love what I do. I can get to practice what I do. I'm not gonna trip and be like, well, you know, how, how, how long is it, you know? Okay, when, when I show up, I went. And I went with no expectation except to do the job. Strive for excellence is what I wrote up there. And, and it led to another opportunity. So I, I think if we put ourselves in a position where we are not so badass and so hardcore and so tight, you know, we open the possibility of opportunity. We don't close ourselves off from anything. Right. And I'll tell you something. It's funny you should say that because when we met two weeks ago, I was just happened to be having breakfast at the diner in the Bronx. Shout out to the Bronx. because I, I mean, Even I don't live anymore in the Bronx. My heart is in the Bronx. So I still sometimes go to that deli on 161st Street, yep. Courthouse Deli. Yep. Shout out. You know? <laughs> but um, I thought when you were in the field, I thought, one, I thought you was from Brooklyn. But one thing that I could say that stood out to me from that time is you were passing by and you didn't do what I call the no look pass. Some people see me <laughs> and they know me and they act like they don't see me, right? right? So not only didn't you not do that, is when you see me, he's like, Glenn, and we we rarely spoke during yeah. Fela, right? Yep. We might've spoke a couple times, but one, you knew my name and I knew your name, of course, but what I appreciated about that moment, what made me say, hey, have a seat, the energy. Like there's people you can know for years, but I don't think, so that's why I'm surprised when you said you give off an energy. You, you've always, when I didn't know you, you definitely did give an energy of like a very serious person, but I, I thought respectable, but, and I, and I don't shy away from that. But when you, when you actually saw me, it was like you saw a friend you hadn't seen for years. And I really appreciated that warmth. And it was right. genuine and I felt initially the same for you, right. so. One last thing about mm -hmm. that time in Fela. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it, for me, it was really, really serious. So probably a lot of what you got, I was serious. I was like, <laughs> some of these people in here is crazy. I'm gonna keep it moving. And mm -hmm. I'm also trying to make sure that I'm, I know what I'm doing. So I was, I, admittedly, you know, I was serious back. Not that I'm not serious now, but during that time, especially you know, after the show, it's late at night. I'm okay, good night, what's up, cool. And I was, I was out and I kept it moving a lot. So, you know, I have, I have a similar thing in terms of when I meet somebody and, um, and I see their guard is up, right? I'm always, I always think to myself, if I was in the position, you know, because what happens is sometimes you're in a position and you don't know certain things. And so, yes, I, I, I tend to, to, to see that a lot right. with, with people in a high level position. So I didn't really think much about it when I saw you. I was like, yo, he's in a position. He has to make sure that people you know, there's a, there's a line that we have to put up. And I think sometimes what happens is people try to be so cool that the, the line gets stepped over. So I understand um, when you say you put a line up, because I definitely seen people tr let their guard down and people um, overstep the line. Being um, in the art world and um, Broadway, doing, you did another Broadway show, you said, you must have met a bunch of people. So you've been in you've been on the Broadway twice, right. from when I know you in Phelan. What was the other name of the show? Uh, Equus, with, with Daniel Radcliffe of Harry Equus. Potter fame. Okay, so Equus. Um, so you've, have you ever met anybody in uh, the women's art world and um, that you might've looked up to and what was that experience like if you have one? Yes, there, there were two, but uh, I'll go with the bigger one or the, the name that most people will know more readily. I'm a huge Earth, Wind & Fire fan. Huge, huge. I grew up listening to Earth, Wind & Fire music. Philip Bailey, Maurice White, Verdine White, Ralph Johnson, Larry. I'm an Earth, Wind & Fire fan. I'm telling you the band members' names, right? So we're doing Fela. It was in the the first Broadway run and all types of celebrities would come through the show and you'd hear so-and-so's here and so-and-so. I'm like, okay, you know, and someone said, Earth, Wind & Fire is here. I said, what? 
<laughs> it was a uh, Verdine White uh, bass player, Maurice White's brother, the lead singer, who's now passed away, and uh, Ralph Johnson, percussionist. And the men were on the sixth floor, the top floor of the building. I got dressed so fast. I ran downstairs, and and I was like, you know, oh, I'm so excited to meet you because that music was like the soundtrack of my really young years. And they were just so cool. And again, like maybe the way that I approached them, they could see like big cheesy grin, you know, like all fanned out. And and they, they were really cool. And it, it was it was a moment that made me feel like, wow, the way that those songs made me feel listening to them and still, and they were telling us what a great show, how much they enjoyed the show. It was one of the best um, celebrity or, or, you know, uh, interaction that I've ever had. Um, that was that was amazing. That was in like 2010. My second one was smaller. We were in London doing the show. And at this point, I had begun um, sharing the roles. So I was also, and this time I was playing fella. And I'm outside post-show, just sitting down, relaxing. And a man walks by. And I look at him like, oh, shit, that's August Darnell. And it was like, August Darnell. I'm like, so August Darnell is from Kid Creole and the Coconuts. That's um that song. I'm a wonderful thing, baby. They're like an old group. Um, they did um um, Tommy Matola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay, okay. The lead singer, Kid nah, Creole. Kid Creole. <laughs> yes. That's his name. Is, his real name is August Darnell. So I'm like August Darnell. So I run up on him because I will <laughs> run up on you like you. I'm like, oh, and he was like, my brother. You know, you were amazing. And, I, and I, I literally didn't even know how to accept the compliment because I'm such a big fan of his, like the style that they did, the, the swag of their songs. So that was my second uh, most memorable. I have quite a few that um, people were not as uh, warm and fuzzy. Right, right. Um, you know. But, you, mean, you, know you mean like during, during, your, during your run in, in theater? Just in general. In um, general. Kanye West came to the show one night. I think it was in San Francisco. And it was weird. It was like, it was weird. You know, came to the show and people were like, Kanye, Kanye, oh my God, Kanye. All the queens was wilding out. So he was like, oh, Kanye, you know, if you want to meet Kanye, say a quick hello, he'd be downstairs. So I'm like, okay, go downstairs. And like I say, it was, and when I say weird, I don't mean just like rude and, and, and shady. It was partially that, but it was weird. He was standing there. He had two bodyguards, you know, and it was almost like back in the days going to the club. Okay, come in. They put the rope. You go in. And he kind of was like three quarters turned away from people, even though people were walking to him. And I sat there and I watched and I was like, but wait, this like, nah, I'm I'm good. And I kept it moving. And the next day I remember saying, so how was it, you know, meeting Kanye? And the consensus was, you know, it just was weird. It just wasn't, I don't know. So for whatever that moment in time was, I don't know. But everyone's like, how do you come to someone's show and then you make them wait to greet you and you be half looking up and it was weird. Well, yeah. I think sometimes with, with um, in those situations, people do things because they feel they have to. Like I remember my, you know, I, I think I, I went on live the other day and I talked about my, my meeting with Will Smith at your show. So I met Will Smith. How was that? Oh, that was amazing, man. Oh, amazing. He... You, 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 you didn't meet him? I met him. You met him? Okay, you met him. And, and my experience was really good. Okay, yeah. Just that the other people for me were bigger, like, icons. That I icons for you, but he yeah. But he was great. He was me. great. He was, he was really personable. Yeah, he... It, but, well, I guess with me, it, it's hard to gauge because I think he mistaken me for somebody. Because when I came in... I don't know if you remember. Do you remember that story? You, did you know it? I don't think I... Oh, tell me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I won't go into detail here, but because uh, I have a video up, I don't want to take okay. up the time. Understood. But basically, just in just to cut straight to the the thing, I went um, as a guest of my wife at the time, right. and um, she gave me the tickets, and and we had had a fight about how I was going to become dressed, and I always would dress nice, so I don't like people telling me to dress nice. Glenn puts it down <laughs> on a fashion tip, you know, and, so, I, and I don't play around with that, so trust. Right, so came I was, looking clean. I, I, I try to come looking clean, so when I, that day, um, we had a fight because she said, look nice, and I said, I'm gonna come with a do-rag and some Tim's, and right, so, right. long story short, I came, I, I, I was dressed nice, I get into the space, 
and um, there's a huge line outside. Like they were not playing. I remember. And yeah. so I had the ticket, and I I go inside. I bypass the line. I come in. I get inside there, and as soon as I step in, Will Smith is like, "What's up?" To me, right? But. I'm thinking to myself, he can't be talking to me because he don't know me. And then I didn't want to look behind me because, you know, sometimes you go to somebody and there's somebody behind you. Right. So I just right. walked over. <laughs> you know, I felt I looked cool. I had the tie, the hat, you know, the fedora on, the the chucks, you know, that's, you know, and I, I go mm. over to him and I go, as I've given him a pound, right, a handshake, I remember, yo, I got to make sure, because I see the line around him, right? And then people couldn't get to him. I said, I got to go tell my ex, so I said, could you give me a second? And he's like, okay. And then I walk, I run over, I grab M.A., I grab her, we go over back to Will Smith. They open the thing. He's like, what's going on? And I introduce him to her. And he introduced his wife. His sister's like, this is my mom. And um, me and Will Smith start talking, right? And he says to me, um, so what's up, man? And I go like this. I'm thinking I got a hundred, a thousand questions I want to ask him. But I know all those, this is going. All those thousand questions I want to ask him, I decide, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something that nobody ever does for Wilson. I'm going to ask him, how, what's up with him? So I asked him what was up with him. And he proceeds to talk to me for 10 minutes about everything he's doing and what he's working on and his struggles and this and that. And so people see us just going back and forth, right? And then when he's almost finished, when he's finished, I'm like, you know, I said, you know, I got to head out because I didn't want to stay there too long and then he right. know, you know, and, or just hog his time. Right. So I said, I'm going to be by the bar. I got to head out. And he's like, and I was like, should I ask him for a picture? And I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to ask for a picture. And so I said, good seeing you. Give him another handshake. And he goes, yo, can I have a picture with you? So he takes a picture with me. I take a picture with, with, um, with Jada. Jada. Um, we take group shots. And so for the whole night, people were trying to speculate who I was the roots manager, the roots manager who, cause root, the, the one of the guys from the roots, uh, Amir is his name. Right. Amir was one of the, the sponsors of Fela, right? One of mm -hmm. the producers, producers yeah. of Fela. Yeah. And so was Will Smith and, 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 uh, and Jay-Z. Yeah. So her, her man, his manager was saying, the roots manager was saying, Oh, I think that this is such an, the guy from Antoine Fisher. I'm like, I was like, so they was speculating who the hell I was, but nobody knew. <laughs> and my, 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 um, you know, MA, she was like, my ex-wife was like, that's just Glenn. That's my husband. What are you guys talking about? So that was a great experience. And <laughs> so, I, so, I, so my, my experience with Will Smith is not one of, I don't know if he, yeah, it was right, fun. Right. It was fun though. It was a fun nah, story. That's, and I, I figured, <laughs> you know, because I have been uh, confused and misidentified people. And so that was a good, that was a good one. That was a good one. That was, that happens to be a good one. You know, I'll tell you some of the ones that wasn't so good. Okay. But, um, <laughs> I want to ask you, so so you said that you got incorporated. Mm -hmm. What does that entail in terms of how does it help you as a business owner? It entails filing paperwork and saying that you are becoming a business entity. You know, there are different ways of incorporating. You could do an LLC, a limited liability corporation. You could do a C corp, you could do an S corp. I was actually reading a book, doing research, like I said earlier about, I want to do this and maybe get a little better idea. And, and what have or what do celebrities and established people, how do they go about dealing with their money? And, you know, a lot of, most athletes, most entertainers have uh, a business or are incorporated in some way. And one of the many things that it does, it allows you to write off certain uh, expenses on your taxes because these expenses now are legally business expenses. So as an example, Right. You have a studio, you have an apartment, a person has an apartment and they run their business out of their apartment. And they should have a business checking account because they have a business. So if they pay their rent from their business checking account, a portion of their rent can be deducted as a business expense. If they have a cell phone and they pay their cell phone from their business account at the end of the year when they file their taxes, a portion of their cell phone bill can be uh, be an expense of their business if they have a car and the car is owned by this so it's all of these type of things there are you know during this pandemic time right there are all these small business sba grants and loans they're giving out so anyone that has a business whether you make widgets whether you um are a physical fitness instructor whether you make smoothies 
Whether you are an artist, a choreographer, if you have a business and you're incorporated, LLC, S Corp, C Corp, or doing business as DBA, doing business as an entity, you are, you are eligible for all of these grants and loans. So um, when I saw that and read about that and, and realized that, like, it's not, like, I didn't discover anything. This has been going on for years. I was like, oh, well, then maybe I should do that. Now, do I make enough money? Like, will, will the expenses and the, the, business, the paperwork of it a little bit uh, make sense? I weighed it. And I figured, well, you know, if you want to play with the big boys, like project uh, further, project further. So maybe now might be a challenge, but do it now and that you'll grow into being able to handle it, to have it uh, run and basically run and take care of itself. A lot of times when I work on jobs and, you know, you feel like a W-2 or W-9 and say, so how do you want to be paid? And I say, well, I'm incorporated. And they're like, oh, 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 incorporated. <laughs> um, another thing that's very practical as a performing artist is if you are incorporated, they don't take taxes out of your pay. Now, you know the tax man be coming for you. <laughs> the tax man will hit you in the head, right. mug you in broad daylight, and then kick you when you're down and say, pay me my money to not have to pay. T- now, you're responsible for the taxes yourself or your right. company. But again, because of those other possible deductions, right. you end up, it ends up saving you money. There's okay. also, if you are really making a decent amount, or if you're not, if you just organize, if you, there's certain uh, retirement plan options that through a company allow you to put away more than if you're a, a regular individual. There are business retirement plans, 401ks, simple IRAs that with a company, uh, the limit for a simple I1K, the max is, um, if I'm not mistaken right now, it's $12,000 a year tax-free. So if you're incorporated, Glen Inc., you can put, don't quote me, $12,000, $15,000 in a simple IRA. Now, if you're not incorporated, you can do your regular IRA or Roth, but that's only going to be five or $6,000. So right. incorporation you know, offers some, some definite uh, potential benefits financially. And this is what I was talking about earlier, um, figuring out how to do it and having a good template, some good examples around that it can be done, and then asking a lot of questions and then reading a lot of books. And now we got the Google machine. You got your phone. Shout out to Google. Shout out to Google. <laughs> Goody goo. You can find whatever you want. I read a book called Ink Yourself. I-N-C, Yourself. By now, it might be it's like its eighth or ninth edition. And that book was a really good beginner, very simple template onto the pros, the cons. So yeah, I'm going to check that research. out myself. I'm going to definitely check it out. I'm very clear that things and people need support. And I feel like, you know, what I've seen and what I've modeled growing up has always been about teamwork and, and unity. You know, just from a family perspective, uh, my grandmother was the oldest of 11 children. So I saw teamwork. And sometimes you saw that things didn't always go, go well. So I was never the person that was like, I'm going to do it all by myself. I feel I, I work well in teams. I, I work well in groups. And, you know, knowing that, I understood like I'm not a web designer if I put my mind to it, but that's not a strength of mine. So, Hey, I need some help with the website. I, I, the things that I, that I need help with, I think I'm pretty good in reaching out. My thing would be the things that I think I know. (laughs) Then it's like, no, 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 no. You know, let me, I got this. I got this. And sometimes you realize that someone else may have a, a, an ingredient or a tool that I'm lacking, but overall I think I'm, pretty good at um at giving some sending out some bat signals when okay. I, when I need help okay but I think I th- my thing is sorry to cut you off my thing no, no, is, no, you're not. is just sometimes turning off like taking the time to relax and you know again based on what I've seen and I think a lot of us um, people of color us black people whether we Caribbean born here or born in, in Africa you know we see our people work hard and you know that there's that term, you know, I'm grinding, I'm grinding, I'm grinding, grinding, you know, you grind, you gr- no, like yeah. you grind gears and then yes. you don't operate and, and efficiently. You, you, right. So, exactly. you know, I think we, I know definitely I can speak for myself. I've the, the uh, example, the template has been work, 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 constant, go, 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 go. So I used to really struggle with just like, I don't got nothing to do today. Let me relax. Let me just take it easy so that I don't burn myself out. 
You know, one thing about this pandemic, when it started, I was super, super, super busy. And when it hit, I was like, what is going? Like I got, I was antsy. I felt like I had, I need to do something until I was like, no, this is a, a global universal reset. Sit your behind down and, and take a moment because when it reboots and it's going to reboot, you know, world 3.0 or 4.0, whatever it's going to be, it's going to get fast because there's all this like momentum that's built that's going to come out. So when it starts again, that energy will change. But to give myself the freedom to like relax and breathe. We get used to the idea. Like you said, we saw our parents do it. We saw this one and that one do it. But you have to ask yourself, where did it leave them? Right. Yes, some of them, like my, my family's successful pretty much. I think my parents, uh, they worked and they did it a certain way. But I didn't get a chance to see them enjoy it so much. So what I'm trying to do is enjoy the moment. Like I'm enjoying this interview. So I don't, I don't interview people who I don't enjoy their company. You right. said something about wanting to hang out with people afterwards. So if I don't want to see you after something's done, that's a good indication that I don't want to do business with <laughs> right, you. Right. It's very, I know it sounds very like cliche. People say no, all the time, real. right? Which, which I think is why, you know, back to entertainment, why you see the same people oftentimes work with each other because there's a, a level of, of, of community, yeah. of, of camaraderie yes. and, and familiarity. That they say, well, you know, I know what I'm going to get. The same thing I mentioned Ruben. He's called me back. He's brought me back into the rooms, you know, so I know he's going to do the job. We get along. We could talk about life, talk about TV, talk about sports. But there's that familiarity. That's why people continue cycling through. Yeah, it's familiarity and also what you bring to the table. Right. So, like, I know what you bring to the table because... You know, so one of the things is like just stability, you know, and just like, I think when we were talking earlier about people who are super talented, consistency is what most of the issues is that we have with many great artists, um, with them getting booked, right? Because you don't know which artist you're going to get <laughs> yeah. on each day. Right. You want, like, I think about it, like, I didn't think about it as a person working for somebody for many years, but having worked for myself before and now working for myself again, the people that I like the most are the ones that I know what to kind of expect from you. Mm -hmm. Like not in a bad way, but just in like, if anything, you're going to over deliver, you're never right. going to under deliver. Right. 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 If you could talk to the, uh, Odessa love from, let's say when you were like 15 or a kid, what advice would you give your older self from the kid? Like, so let's say your kid's aspect. So, you know, cause sometimes as adults, we, we start to get, fearful of things but as a child we were kind of like you know invincible great question i would <laughs> i would say be joyful don't take things as serious do not doubt yourself i would always tell my friends i know i ain't crazy i mean like you know you get a thought in your head and you're like nah this can't be this this is that, that you ain't crazy that you're grown adult Self, like you are not crazy. Your thoughts, the way you approach the world is, is going to be a little to the left sometimes, but you ain't crazy. Do not doubt yourself. Stay happy. Stay, stay up. Don't, don't let the perceived weight of the world uh, push you down. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's some great advice. And especially now, I mean, that advice is very timeless for now because I talk to people all the time and when people, when they talk to you and they start saying, man, this, this is some crazy times you already putting that. In, and I say, it's not so crazy for me. And it, and it's a mindset. Right. It is the way we perceive something. You can't control what's happening in the world. There are a lot of things that are above our control who sits on the throne or in the white house, who does whatever. But one thing that you can control is how we react to the things around us. Where would you like to see your business go in the next few years? My business will expand into content creation and ownership. So not just being uh, on stage or on screen, big or small screen, but as a content creator, um, writing and producing and directing, that's where my business is gonna go on one level. The other side, um, I look forward to working more with younger performing artists, in particular dancers and actors, in particular from, um, inner city communities. I've done that before. <clears throat> and I work with a group called uh, IST right now. 
as a, as a guest choreographer, a choreographic mentor. And I really, really, really enjoy that because I know when I was starting in the dance world, of course things were different, but the opportunities that are present now are so much more vast than they were before. But I think a lot of the kids feel it's easy and they don't really see where, how far they can go if they begin to view what they have as a real commodity, not something that's disposable. So I would like to, uh, and I plan on working with, with children, um, younger artists, and, and having them uh, learn from my experiences, share some of my experiences with them, and, and be able to mentor in a way that puts them into the industry, just like you know, the cousin of the executive at Paramount gets an internship, and they're put into that pipeline that a lot of times our young folk don't get the opportunity to be. So content creation and mentorship. Okay, so you work with kids a lot, right? So yeah. younger generation. So is, let's say um, you have one listening right now to this podcast. What advice would you get give them as a person, young person coming into the, the dance or performing arts world? Something that you wish you'd have known and you think might help them to advance or to just stay afloat? Think bigger than yourself. Do not limit yourself by that. I started out, like I said, dancing, popping, locking, breaking. I knew I wanted to act and do other things, but I didn't really, really, really believe it until a few things happened that I was like, oh, but if those things didn't happen, I'm not sure if the, the path and the track that I'm on now I'd be on. And I think there's a, a component that people feel or maybe people have felt that they can, you know, I can't be up there. That's, that's for them other people. I can never uh, attain that level. That's for some other people, smarter people, people from, and we, again, going back to mindset and the frame of reference that we view the world through. If you view yourself as limitless, that the potential you have is, is broad and expansive, you don't have that doubt, that fear, that worry. So um, I think to not limit yourself to say, I might not know exactly what steps I'm going to take to get there, but I can get there. That's one. The second part is, is be open to admitting that which you do not know. Because ego and pride, they say, well, grandma say, pride goeth before the fall, right? If you think you know everything, you're going to fall. So be open to say, I don't know. And by acknowledging that which you don't know, you learn and knowledge is power. So by saying you don't know, you automatically empower yourself because eventually you will know. And once you have that knowledge, it can't be taken away from you. You become more powerful. So the key is keep accruing power, knowledge power, not necessarily bling, you know, and wealth, but knowledge power. Again, going back to the power of the mind. When I got cast in Fela, one of the band members, he said to me, oh, you know, again, because I'm amped, I'm happy, oh, I'm in and he said, oh, so you're new here. What do you do? I said, oh, I'm, I'm the understudy to Fela, and I'm also in the ensemble. Oh, well, you're, you're never going to go on. <laughs> you're never going to get to go on. To my face. Wow. This dude didn't know me. And I said, he must think I'm a musical theater cat. I didn't black out on him. I was like, okay, you know. But he said it to me. You never, you're never going to dismiss me. Go, go sit down someplace. But as the universe works, years later, you know, I started playing the role, blah, blah, blah. Before the show closed, the same person came over to me and said, you know, day I got to tell you, oh, my God, you're my favorite, Fela. And, and I've seen you, oh, my, like, your, your shows are incredible. And I said, thank you. And I said, you know what? There were people here who thought that I would never get, even get to go on as Fela. He might not even remember that he said that to me. Hmm. So when he said that to me, a different reaction could have been, F you, or like, maybe I won't because I'm, I'm understudying two established, really good actors. Maybe I want. I said, okay. You know what I mean? I'm going to show you. Not by being, I'm going to do the work. So my mindset was like, just do the work. They can say whatever they want to say, but they cannot stop you because you're going to gain this knowledge. And when it's your time to play this role, it's going to be blast off. So that mindset, you know, controlling the mind, what we ingest not ingesting crap. And if you ingest it, then get it out real quick. Don't like let it right. sit and linger because that, that stops us from, from potential, from growth. Right. You know? And by the way, shout out to Kevin Mambo and Saw. That's right. Um, great failure right. guys. They I've seen the both. They did their thing. They but, and you thing. know, and like you said, Absolutely. it was, 
it was you coming behind these guys, but you didn't let that. I think it's admirable that you didn't let somebody take you off your path. You, you said it. One thing that I love about theater and that was so applicable to Fela. And, you know, one day I'm sure the producers will try to remount it and bring it back. I think I forget who told me they were like, but this show is like a train. And once that train leaves the station, there is no stopping. There's not even slowing down. And there's damn sure ain't no turning back. And I was like, you know, no, I was like, okay, I'm grown and understand things. But the first time I played the role, after having set, sat on stage, watch Kevin, watch Sa, watch Sa, watch Kevin, watch, watch, watch. Take notes, take notes, figure out, I will do it this way. The first time I played that role, I walked down that aisle and I was looking on that stage. My hands were up and I was like, okay. So two and three quarter hours, this is it. Lucini falling from the sky, let's get rich, what? <laughs> like this is it right here. Like there's no going back. And it's, it's a different thing. That's what theater is so crazy. You know, once you start, you can't cut, you can cut TV. You keep going. And one of the first times I played the role, I dropped the line, I forgot something. And for like a millisecond, it was like, like I felt that one little bit of panic coming. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. You used to be on the treadmill in the gym singing these songs, running on the treadmill. You used to be downtown speaking an accent so that you act... Like you better not well, have that that uh, flight, you know, fight or flight. Like mm-hmm. you gotta fight. Like take a deep breath. Oh, you, you you know the line. And and for that, but for, there's that one moment that it was like, oh, 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 am I gonna be able to do this? Oh, oh. It you gotta you gotta go. You cannot stop. And like you said, that that one little seed of doubt can sprout into a whole forest of <laughs> of, of, of of stuck being stuck mm-hmm. got to yes, keep sir. going and, and and it's like that in life you set on your path and your path might change and branch out and diverge but you have to keep going you got to keep going and that and that i think is, a, is something in common that people who have success in life not just in financial or performative success but peace of mind peace of mind is success in this world peace of mind and comfort in knowing who you are is success and that's because people, in my opinion, push and pursue and do not let the doubt overwhelm them. Doubt is natural. It can be used as a tool to motivate and spur you. It's natural, but you cannot let it overwhelm you. What are some of the things that you take on personally because you have your own business that you don't have to worry about when you work with somebody else? That I don't have to worry about. Most. Huh. Good qu- you ask good questions. <laughs> because I, I really have to think. That I don't have to take on. Well, it's selfish in a good way. It's only about me and what I'm. So I, I don't worry about. I don't worry about not being able to perform my job, if, if that makes sense. I I don't worry about. Okay, a desolate take sit on boxes, unload and unpack them. I don't worry about about disappointing or 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 failing. A job, and most of the jobs that I worked before were like retail or serve industry based. So you're dealing with people. Someone comes in, how can I help you? Is this person going to give me a hard time? I don't worry about how I present in the same way. I don't worry about <laughs> this is going to be. It's a small thing, but I don't worry about how I look because I'm not. It's a different uh, forward facing kind of conversation. You know, you work and dressed and go and. I can do what I want to do the way I want to do it from home, especially now with all things being digital. But I do have to be mindful of bringing funds in, right? Because there is no safety net in that regard. Right. So the drive to be creative is, uh, is heightened. And I think creativity and the end result of being pleased or that peace of mind doesn't necessarily always come with a job. It doesn't always necessarily come with money. Right. So if I say I'm, I want to write a, I want to write two scenes today, today I'm going to write two scenes and I want them to be. So if I get those two scenes done, I'm, I'm happy. Then I'm successful. I'm happy and pleased with my day. I've made progress. Now that didn't bring in funds and there's no guarantee that it might, but that's that small victory. 
that you are talking about. Wow, I thought it out five years ago, never written anything in my life. Now I have a screenplay, I have a play, I have a short film. So it's those kind of small, um, achievable, like you said, victories. Would you say in doing what you want to do, it has created opportunity for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, this path is not for everybody. And I think what's going on in the world now is really making people rethink and reconsider what's important, what they need to survive, and how how they can be productive and derive pleasure at the same time. So a lot of people, they work, they work at big 500 accounting firms, they work in, in corporate world and they are productive in their job and they're successful, but they're not happy. Now that oftentimes these jobs have been either canceled or furloughed or taken away, they're reassessing, well, okay, well, as, and companies are reassessing, we might not need our thousand person headquarters in New York City. We might just need 200. So 600 of y'all gonna stay at home and work, but 200 of y'all gonna get furloughed or canceled. So I think people are rethinking, what does it really mean for me to be productive but happy? How can, how can these two uh, somewhat separate entities merge and coexist? We have the luxury of already having taken those steps. And working through it, which is why I think this time is such a shock to people's system. What am I going to do? Oh, my God. Well, you have had a six-figure job for the last 15 years. You panicking? Wow. And we're like, okay, another day. It's a challenge and things will, I mean, my industry has pretty much been shut down for the last five and a half, six months. And I'm not panicking. I'm being creative. I'm being productive. I'm using my company to do the X, Y, and Z. So we, we have been afforded a safety net. It's like we've been training with a 40-pound weight vest while people have been running around doing nothing. And now that we've taken the vest off and we're like, oh, we're, we're prepared, we're built to do this work. And people are like, oh my God, I, I have no, no boss, I have no ink. And it, that panic sets in. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Wow, man, that's, that's <laughs> deep. I mean, I, <laughs> this was a beautiful interview, man. And I wanna just say that I'm super proud of you. Oh, thank you, man. It's and I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity to sit down with you because what happens sometimes is you you see somebody, but like you said, like prioritizing, making time for engaging with people who are being productive and, and doing what you're doing. A lot of times we don't sit down because we don't know them or right. we feel like we don't know the story. So we're we so, we such in a hurry to just get from point A to point B. Right. And having, like I said, like I, I felt like, a lot of people are slowing down now, but I've always been walking around kind of just like, you know, and you might agree, always looking and assessing things, right. always trying to figure out things. So this way, well, like you said, with some people, this has been thrust upon them, but I look at it and I, and I hope anybody listening will look at this as a time of reflection. Absolutely. Instead of looking yeah. at what's yeah. wrong and, and waiting for things to get back or calling this the new normal or whatever they call it now, remember that this was something, this was, this was coming anyway. And it just came a little faster than many people were were ready for. But if you, like, the key is not to go back to the way things were. Can't. The key, right? right? The key is, like, like you don't want to go back to doing things for a job and just saying, oh, that's that's my my bread and butter. People call the thing they don't want to do their bread and butter, right? (laughs) And they call the thing that they love the side hustle. Right. And putting as much energy and effort into that stream of income as you would your job. That's what I did before I got furloughed. I was doing 40 hours with my job. And I said, I got to put as much time into the job as I do into my passion. Mm-hmm. Not my side hustle. I, I don't like that word side hustle. Because right. right. I think it, it diminishes it. It's and secondary. It, right, or and tertiary. It, exactly. Shout out to all those sides out there <laughs> yeah. trying to be a happy meal. Two sides, two sides. <laughs> Yo, brother, <laughs> I had a great time, man. Me too, man. This it's was been like this was amazing, fantastic. bro. You're, you're an inspiration. I, I love what you're doing. I'm looking forward to the content. I'm going to be back. I'm um, going to be back. Yeah, and we're going to be we're gonna, right. we're gonna we're gonna gonna do a round two. Yes. So I'm excited, man. This is great. Thank you, man. Yo, thank you, this brother. Thank this you. Peace. All right, peace. Ooh.
Thanks once again for tuning into the 95 Killers podcast. You can now visit us on our website at 95killers.com. We truly appreciate your continued support. Take care of yourself and your families and keep killing those comfort zones. Until next time, peace.